Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I'm Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm excited that I have Brooke Steinbacher with me. Did I say that correctly? It's close enough, Steinbecker, but we're good. Okay, Steinbecker. Brooks has an awesome testimony. I'm super excited to have him here with me. He is a friend. He is a brother. What he carries and what he has is something that not anybody I've ever met has. So just really, I want to encourage you to just really prepare yourself to receive what he has. If you can, try to watch the YouTube video of this, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcasts, because there's something about looking into his eyes that is very pure and can really step into really feeling the Father's heart. So go ahead, Brooks, and introduce yourself, and then we can have you share your testimony. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. I love seeing what God's doing in your life now. I love getting those little tidbits of you up on stage and just and just bringing the father's love everywhere you go and just breaking it off, breaking those chains of bondage of that people have been held down with so many years. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, my name is Brooke Steinbecker. Grew up around like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, most of my life. I grew up in foster care to broken homes to uh, my parents were never married and they were just, they were polar opposites. And, um, really struggled in life. I think it really messed with my identity with, you know, I mean, not having parents that I could go to to trust, but also just like speak freely about like stuff I was going through. I was always jealous of everyone like talking about like them doing stuff with their fathers from playing sports to going fishing, hunting and everything. I never really had that. So when I graduated high school, I actually three months before graduating high school, I was like, I'm going to join the military. I love hearing about these commercials about, you know, I mean, the brotherhood and and army of one in a, what was that? March 27th of 2001, I joined the military and uh, ended up going to basic training. I don't know if you remember what happened during 2001 in September, but uh, 9-11 happened and I was in basic training. And in basic training, you're you're cut off from society. You have no idea what's going on in the outside world. And the drill sergeant came and laid the newspaper down and it showed the towers on fire. And I, he said, we're going to war. Immediately, I got excited because now I get to spend, you know, I mean, at least a year with my my new family, my brothers and sisters. As soon as I got out of basic training, I was working at a sports store and I was up on a forklift and got a phone call and pretty much said like grazing herd. And I'm like, what is this crazy person saying? And uh, it was my call for uh, active duty to go to Iraq. Ended up leaving for did Kuwait and Iraq and it was an absolute blast. I mean, I couldn't believe that someone was actually paying me to serve our country, but also get to travel and see the world. I did not take it for granted. I loved serving. Some years went by and 2010, I met my wife and 
it was very quick. I knew uh, she was the one. So we got married and it was about three weeks later, I got called to go to Afghanistan. I often heard about like people talking about, I mean, for many years I served single and it was so easy to serve in the military single. And now actually having a wife to where I'm like, man, it's someone at home that I love and I have to leave for now uh, a year to a year and a half. Mm. And I go on that deployment and I was super excited. We're now running MRAPs, these big armored vehicles and uh, doing route clearances and, Mm -hmm. and just making sure the roads are safe. Well, I never feared or worried about like losing my life um, while serving because I just felt like I didn't have much. Um, it wouldn't affect many people, and I could just I could just pass, and and people would just keep on moving with their day. But my fear was is like losing uh, a brother and sister that I was serving with, and in a uh, in that tour in Afghanistan, um, I just got back from mid tour. Um, break and my wife and I went on our honeymoon during that time I came back and I was so excited to share about my honeymoon with my best friend and he was leaving on a mission and uh, I was not allowed to go because I just got back in the country and there's a large um, time difference and he said man when I get back from this mission where I'll talk about this I can't wait to hear about how much fun you guys had and During that mission, he ends up hitting uh, an IED and my commander calls me. She said, hey, your best friend, Brian Mallory is hurt, but he's still alive. And I was like, I'm like, that was too close of a call. I I was happy to hear that I'm going to see him again. Well, I had an hour walk from like where my tent was to our headquarters. And I didn't know in that hour walk up there, he hit another IED explosion and it killed three of the people in that vehicle during that walk. You know I mean? I'm, I'm like grateful that I'm going to see my best friend again. But the next time I see my best friend, I was carrying his casket onto a plane to be flown home to his family. I didn't realize what was happening in my life. I became very angry and, but numb at the same time and short tempered. And I still had about five to six more months in country before our deployment was over. And my commander pulled me off the road for about a month. I hated the fact that I wasn't out in the road with, with my guys. And, uh, I fought to get back on the road. And my first mission back was called extortion one seven. It was, uh, a mission where a Chinook helicopter got shot down with that was full of like special forces and like our elite soldiers that I look up to. And now we have to go recover everything and all the sensitive items. And I'm like, my first mission back on the road is, is 20 bodies to get them home to their families. Now I ended up staying on missions and finishing out the tour. But like my last few weeks, I was, they moved me into the headquarters and I didn't go out on the road much anymore. And, uh, came home and I was like, so excited to see my wife. I was like, man, that sacrifice of being away from family was not fun at all. was not easy. wasn't as easy as it was before when right. I was single. And uh, that honeymoon phase faded very quickly. When I got home, I was 
Uh, I was being tormented. I was horrible. I was not sleeping right. I was sleeping during the day and up all night because that's usually how we ran our missions. And um, but the worst part was, is I I hated being touched. I hated being around someone else that didn't know what I was actually going through in my mind. So my wife had about a week or two off of work. And during that time, she was like, we want to start a family and we wanted to start a family quick. So we're like, let's, let's have, um, or let's, let's go get a puppy. So I was like, yeah, I've always had a connection with dogs. So let's do it. So we went and got a, um, a, it's called a, a Connie Corso, an Italian Mastiff, um, little puppy. And I just like fell in love with her right away. Her name was Benelli. So my wife's off work for two weeks and then she finally goes back to work. I had 45 days off uh, to transition back into society after, after the deployment. And I kind of like a, like a switch went off to where I was like, there's so much wrong in the world. I'm like, how can I fix it? I finally got a wild idea of like, I was the the thing that was wrong in the world. Wow. I went to my bedroom and my wife was at work, went to my bedroom, got a gun, came back out and sat at the couch and held the gun to my head. And wow. I was just like, man, I, I, um, this is all my fault. Whoever is around me is going to die young. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's all I could ever talk about for some odd reason right there at that moment, while I was holding a gun to my head, my, new puppy just came walking around the edge of the couch and sat down and looked at me. And if I pull this trigger, it's going to be really loud in this house. I'm going to scare this dog. As you can see now, how messed up my mind was, I wasn't worried about what I was going to do to myself. I was worried about like scaring someone else. I pick up the dog and I just hold her and I cried and cried. And I, I cried for until my wife actually got home from work. My wife comes in and she's like, how's your day? And I was like, I was great. Like, you know what I mean? Benelli and I got to hang out and, and uh, I just felt like I couldn't be real with her, what I was going through. I felt like I needed to be able to hold it together to show her like I'm still strong, even though I was beating myself up. Were you diagnosed with PTSD at this time? I came home was and I was diagnosed happened? before even being released from base with severe PTSD then came with like sleep apnea and a bunch of other like. Okay. So um, that was before this situation. And my wife like kind of picked up on it a little bit, like while I was home, just like maybe three, four days, a state uh, police officer came to my house and I like opened the door and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, Hey, you missed like two mental health treatments right in a row. And our job is to to come check on you. So you're and, supposed uh, to be doing these meetings and going to yeah. these appointments and you're not even doing that. No. Got it. And uh, so my wife was like, what was that? I was like, oh, wrong number. Like they, they didn't know what they were doing. And she started picking up about the stuff that I was going through. And, but I just always lied to her about it. I was having these nightmare night terrors for man years. And they were, they were happening weekly and and I'll I'll try to get in I'll get into the dream a little bit later but it was weekly that I was having these dreams and in the dreams I was uh, I just feel more guilty every single time I had it that it it was my fault and it was just confirming um, that everyone died because of me so to pick up where we left off so I 
fighting with the suicidal thoughts. It finally about seven years of fighting with them. My wife, I just told her, I said, I, I got to tell you something. I said, I, I'm really struggling with suicide. And I said, I, I constantly think about taking my own life. I didn't get the reaction that I thought I was going to get. She kind of like pushed me back and, and she goes, I'm the one person that you should, you could trust wow. and you didn't trust me. It really broke my heart to like hear that, but I was just like, I'm, I'm ready to be real now. She said, well, you need to let the military know like what you're, what you're going through. We have these medical evaluations every year called a PHA, a physical health assessment. I'm at the PHA and at the very end, you have to see the doctor and I shared and they're like, you're done. They're like, you're not going to be serving in the military anymore. And I was like, no, I, I just wanted to let you know so I could be real, not so I'm going to be kicked out of the military. Oh, my gosh, that's so sad. And they just said, well, you're unfit for duty anymore, so you're not going to be able to serve. <sighs> I um came home. I told my wife, I'm like, we're going to lose everything. I'm going to lose like the 18 and a half years that I was in. My dream was to serve till I was 60, which I would have had. 42 years in the military. And uh, now a few weeks later, I get a medical evaluation and he said, you're unfit for duty and you're going to be medically released. For being honest, asking for help, saying that you want help. I was, did my best to try to stay in because I'm like, I'm, I wasn't being upfront. So I lose everything. I was being upfront to say like, I need help. I ended up Maybe four months later, I got my my letter while I was at drill. It had my official retirement date. Re- reading that letter and when that date came, I mean, I mm. I sat in the parking lot for hours just being like, this is the last day I'm ever going to wear my uniform. And I was so proud to serve our country. I come home and that was that was towards the end of May that that happened of 2019. My stepsister calls me and about three weeks later, and she's like, hey, all your brother-in-law ever talks about is like going fishing with you. Like, could you please buy him some fishing stuff for Father's Day? And man, you give me an excuse to go to Bass Pro, like I'm there. (laughs) And uh, so I called my wife. I said, hey, I'm running up to Bass Pro. And she's like, hey, I got dinner going. Don't be too late. Get into Bass Pro and was on a mission to get this stuff and get out. And, and, uh, while I was there, this, um, I get a tap on my shoulder and I like turn around and it's this little Asian lady. And, and she's like, excuse me, uh, do you know where the food court's at? And I'm like, look, I I know I'm a big guy. So why do you think I know where the food court's at? (laughs) But unfortunately I, I knew where it was at. So I told her and I turned back around and I just, I get back to like, I only had a little bit of time. She taps me on the shoulder again. And she says, can I pray for your PTSD and mental health? I said, how do you walk up to a person like me and say that? She said, I was just trusting the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, your mind was wrestling with war. I said, who told you this? She said, the Holy Spirit, I was just trusting him. And I said, well, I don't believe in God, really. So why would he tell you something about me? She just said, could I pray for you? 
So she prays for me and it's like, I'm crying and I'm like, why am I feeling all these emotions? Why can't I control my tears? Cause it was, it was many years and since I cried and uh, mm. the gentleman that was with her said, uh, one thing I've learned is, is when uh, the Holy spirit is present, like you can't control your emotions. Right. So they pray for me and it was like everything that I was dealing with. We exchanged information and the next day they said, Hey, this uh, gentleman named Dr. Mike Hutchins is speaking at a global tomorrow. Would you come and hear him? And I was just like, well, why? And they're like, well, he's helped thousands of soldiers receive healing of PTSD and mental health. And that next day I was like, I told her, yes, I would go. I mean, for a good 10 hours, I was like, no, I'm no. not going yeah. to embarrass myself these people have no idea what I'm going through, but five minutes before I had to leave, I like showered and my, I like came out my wife's like, well, I'm going with you. Mm. So, um, we get in the car, we go up to global and, um, Dr. Mike's up front, just getting ready to speak. Well, the little Asian lady, Lily greets me right at the door and she has a seat for me up front and center. And I hate, <laughs> I hate like being, anywhere like center of attention and she's like I got you a seat right here and I'm like man I'm like this this lady like she just doesn't accept like no like she she's there Dr. Mike's speaking and I'm like man how's this guy know all the pain I'm going through and at the very end uh, Lily grabs my hand and she's like I'm gonna have Dr. Mike pray for you and I'm like no I'm like no don't like there's I don't deserve this man's time like, just let me go about my day. Well, Lily didn't take no as an answer. And she walks me up in front of Dr. Mike. And as soon as I looked into his eyes, I knew something was about to change in my life. He prays for me. He's getting, he has his prayer model and he gets halfway through his prayer model. And, and Jesus comes and stands right beside him as he's just like sitting down all nonchalant, just like, just peaceful. And as soon as he stands beside him, I look up at God and I'm just like, why, why would you come? I'm nothing special. Mm -hmm. And he just stood there with his arms crossed and Dr. Mike finishes his prayer model. And he said, are you ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, I am. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I said, I am, God opened up his arms, grabbed a hold of me and placed my head right on his chest. And I felt his heartbeat. And what, the first thing he said to me was, I've been waiting for you for a long time. <laughs> and I didn't share with Dr. Mike about all the other pains that were in my body. I ended up having a traumatic brain injury. I had, oh, wow. um, uh, I had three discs out my back, two discs out of my neck. I had lost probably like 80% of my strength in my arms and my legs, migraines, my list was nine deep when they medically discharged me from the military. I get in my car, I'm like driving home. And I just remember like, what just happened? I didn't believe in this. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I would give up everything to have other people have this encounter mm -hmm. and be set free. And I'm driving home and like, I'm feeling the steering wheel again. I'm like, man, like, and it felt good. Like I was gripping a hold of it. And like the leather was like, crunching in my hand I'm like what why do I feel like so strong again and then uh 
with my back being out, I always like would lean to the side when I would uh, sit in my car to relieve the pain. And I'm sitting straight up in my car and I'm like getting home. I'm like, I'm like looking at my wife. I'm like, why am I not in pain? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, he only prayed for my PTSD, but like, why am I not in all this other tremendous pain? And she's like, God's, God's not just going to heal one thing. He's there to heal it all. Oh my gosh. And I was so happy that she could like explain things to me because I was completely lost mm-hmm. that night to me. I was like, how do I test if I'm healed of my, yeah. <laughs> as I shared a little bit earlier about like, I would frequently have nightmares and uh, in those dreams, I'd be sitting out in front of like my bee hut where I stayed in Afghanistan and the three soldiers that, that got killed on that mission, they would come walking by me. And as I would call their names, they would turn their backs and walk away from me. And every time I'm like, I just felt like they were just saying like, it was your fault. That night I have the dream sitting out in front of my bee hut. The three soldiers come walking by and I call each individual one of their names and they all come and they sit with me. We're laughing, we're joking, just like the good old days. And at the very end, they all stood up in front of me in a line and saluted me. And they said, Brooks, it was an honor to serve with you, but we can finally rest. And I watched them walk off into the sunset. And the next morning, I grabbed a hold of my wife's arm. I said, the pain's over. I'm I'm free. I don't have to live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. the next day my wife's like are you ready to watch this movie I think it was the passion I didn't know the trauma the rejection and the pain that God went through for us before going to the cross and she said can we watch this movie now finally so we're watching the movie it gets to the end where Jesus dies on the cross. And as I was watching the movie, I felt like I was right there with him. Watch my best friend be killed. But I didn't know that after Jesus died, that he's buried. I thought he just died and was just left on the cross and just fell apart eventually and fell to the ground. Because I compared it to like a Catholic church and always seeing Jesus hanging on the cross. So I thought that's just where he always stayed. Mm. So in this movie, he dies and I see him taken off the cross. And I'm like, my wife's asleep at the time. I'm like, wait a second, what are they doing? They show him buried. And then three days later, the tomb opened. I like grabbed the hold, grabbed the hold of my wife. And I was like, Jesus is alive. And she's like, this is what I've been telling you this whole time. Like, he wants you. He loves you. And it just completely set me free then that next day to where something, like, I didn't know, but it was something so simple. I didn't know that after he died on the cross Mm -hmm. that he rose again. And I didn't know that's what I was feeling was the Holy Spirit in my life. So a few months go by and, uh, I'm going to like every single conference. (laughs) I can't get enough of this. Someone comes up to me and they said, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about going to ministry school, but I see you going to school. I said, well, 
I've always struggled in school, so I'd never put myself in that situation uh, to struggle. Before I knew it, the time was coming, and I put my application in to go to Global School of Supernatural Ministry, and I got an acceptance letter, and I was like, what is wrong with these people that they <laughs> go to school? And uh, yeah, <laughs> I ended up, was there maybe two weeks, and Dr. Mike's like, hey, you ready to start traveling with me? And I'm like, what do, what do I have to offer? You've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. And he's just like, well, Brooks, you hold something that I'll never have. You served in that service and you'll have those connections with those brothers and sisters. And I was completely blown away that he would ever give me the opportunity to, to be there by his side. And I said, yes. I came home and I like told my wife and she's like, it's like, Dr. Mike asked me to travel with him. And she's like, what'd you say? And I was like, I said, yes. And she goes, but you hate standing like in front of people and speaking. And I was like, I know, I don't know why I said yes. <laughs> and it was one of the, the biggest blessings to ever. And it just actually standing there by his side. I just, I mean, I was just getting more confident every time I was up there and speaking just about my encounter and my testimony. And I'm like, why are people getting set free of this? Like, I almost felt like I was just up there bragging. I'm like, God, why are they getting set free with like me bragging? He's like, you're giving me all the glory. I'll take care of the rest. Yeah. And that, and then that changed my whole mindset with, with freely sharing about what I was going through. I feel like what you're speaking to is a lot of times where people will hold back and yeah. not kind of walk this stuff because they think that they're bragging and they think that they're doing this for themselves because maybe that that is actually what we think in the world. I feel like you're naming something that a lot of us think about. Yeah, yeah. So I end up finishing my first year of ministry school and I was like learning about simple things that was just blowing my mind from journaling to, to prophetic paintings to mm -hmm. the street evangelism. I was like, I've always loved people, but I hated myself for so many years. So it was easy for me to meet someone on the street and um, start talking to them about stuff. And my wife's like, you're like a prophetic evangelist. I'm like, well, first off, I don't even know like what those words mean. So like, <laughs> can you dumb it down to me? And she's like, you make a connection with people and then you bring God into the center of it and you have a hundred percent of their attention and they have nothing no other option but accepting Jesus is that in that moment. Well, yeah, that's like so easy. And she's like, for you, it is, but it's not always for everyone. I get my first year done and I'm like, I got it all figured out now. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And what it was is I was just afraid to go to second year of global because now we have to preach and teach. I didn't want to be in front of the stage and, and doing stuff like this. I, um, <laughs> didn't do my packet for second year of ministry school and the time was coming up and I was uh being around a lot of people new people that I was getting to know and they a lot of people were just like man I, I have a six-year-old six-year-old boy right now and uh everyone's like man I bet you guys look exactly the same well growing up and like foster and stuff like that prior to six years old, I have no baby pictures. So I could, I had nothing to see if like I, if we resembled each other. Like them, yeah. 
And it actually really started to bother me and make me bitter towards God. Cause I'm like, you saved me, you know I mean? From all this pain and trauma and PTSD from war, but I still have like six years. That's just like completely blank. I was like the two ways that I really like just disconnect from everything is just riding my motorcycle and fishing, like just being out in my boat. And, uh, told my wife, I said, I'm gonna go for a motorcycle ride. And I go for a motorcycle ride. I get about an hour away from my house. And, um, I like park my motorcycle at like a abandoned gas station. And I'm like stomping down the city streets, like, like a baby, like just throwing a temper tantrum. And mm. I end up walking down this alley and, uh, I walk right into someone's house. I like come to it. I'm like, I'm going to get arrested. I'm in someone's house. And I like kind of like ran out the house. Well, then I like walk back to my motorcycle and I drove it back around to the front of this house now. And I got off of it and I come to it and I'm knocking on, on this door and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I have to get out of here. So I like go to shoot off the steps real quick and uh, the door opens up and it's an older gentleman. And I like turn around. I'm like, who are you? And he's like, well, you're at my house. So I'll ask the questions. And he said, who are you? And uh, a name just like popped in my head. And I was like, who's Michael Tarazzi? Wow. He like took a step back in his doorway and he goes, there's only two people that ever called me that in life. And he goes, one's my mom. And he goes, two is this baby that I found laying face down in a storm drain. So what, what was his name? He said his name was Brooks. I said, my name is Brooks. And I said, how'd you know his name? He said, well, his mom cleaned my mom's house. And the one day she stole a bunch of stuff. And uh, he goes, I found out at like 1130 at night. And he goes, and he goes, your mom was big into drugs. And I knew she would sell this jewelry that she stole for drugs. So he goes, I knew I had to get over there immediately and he goes, I was driving in like the pouring down rain and I was sitting at a red light. And uh, he goes, I just looked over and I seen something white. And uh, he said, it was just you uh, in a diaper laying in a storm drain. He goes, I got up and I picked you up and got you in the car and got you warm and drove to your mom's house and asked for all the stuff that she stole. And, and he goes, I'm not just taking that. I'm taking Brooks with me. He's not safe to be with you. My mom signed over rights um, as she went to jail for four years. It was just wild because he was like sharing his stuff with me. And then all of a sudden, like six years of like floods of memories came wow. back where I was like, who's Sheila? And he's like, that's my wife that passed away of cancer. And I was like, you, I was like, you have like a cabin, like way out in the woods. He's like, yeah, I do. I said, I was like, well, you have four wheelers there. It has a deck off the back. And I was like, we used to stop and get like 50 pounds of stale donuts and put it next to the cabin for the bears. And he's like, how do you remember this stuff? And I was like, it's all coming back to me right now. And I was like, I remember the day I learned to tie my shoes. And I was like, I was at that cabin. And he's like, man, he's like, I can't believe you remember this stuff. And then I said, I, I have one more thing. I said, you ever take me fishing up there at the cabin? He said, yeah, I did. 
And I said, did I ever break a fishing rod of like a fish I caught? And he like sat back in his chair and he goes, that fishing rod's still hanging up in my cabin. He said, I was never able to let it go after I let you go. He goes, how do you, how do you remember all this stuff? I said, I didn't. I said, it just all came back to me right now. And I said, I have one more question and I'll be out of your hair. And I said, do you have any baby pictures of me? Oh. <laughs> he goes, Brooks, I got photo albums of baby pictures of you. And the first picture that I flipped open to and I looked at, it was like an identical replica of my son. And it just filled my heart. And I like got on my motorcycle and I had like Bluetooth earbuds in. And I just remember <laughs> I was um, on my way home. And my wife calls and I like pull over and I like answer the call. And she's like, where have you been? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, um, and I start like sharing with her about it. And she's like crying and she goes, I wouldn't expect anything less from your walk with Jesus. I got home. They, then he came over a few weeks later with all these pictures of me and we got to sit down and he got to meet my family. And then, um, it was about three months ago. Uh, we ended up going up to his cabin. Oh my god! He always took me to, and uh, <sighs> my son is the exact same age of when he. My mom got out of jail, and he felt it was best when my mom showed up at my house and she asked for me back. Um, he thought it was best that I be raised by my mom. So it was six years old when he lost me, and my son is six right now. And there was multiple times while we were up there at the cabin for a week to where I think he went to call my son Brooks. Wow. It really filled my heart and it was just so much fun. And oh. I learned in that time to just really trust the spirit and just like things that I used to think was like weird or funny. It just, I'm like, man, God can speak to you in a million different ways. And I just, I keep my eyes open. I keep my ears open and I keep my mind open that it's just the different ways that he can speak to you and oh. just stay in that obedience. Yeah, I just definitely feel God's presence. Could you pray? I would love it if you could pray for the listeners, one for what you would like just releasing healing. But then also, I just really think that people are hungry to, to hear from God like you do. And I know that some of it has to be practiced. Some of it has to be you know, we have to walk out stuff. We have to be in the word. I mean, I know all that stuff, but I really feel like God is moving and really wants like the hungry ones that he can move supernaturally in places where he can just catapult us into a place of, ex of experiencing him at a higher level. Yeah. And yeah. that this is normal to just hear, get these names in our head, get the, you know, like that woman had a word of knowledge for you at, yep. at the fishing store. Like, it, it should be normal, but I think people, people, not the church, not, well, actually we're the church, um, not God, but people have caused it to be weird. And I just, I love how you just make it normal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely, absolutely. Yeah. And is yeah. there anything, anything else, anything else that you want to share before you pray? I'd, I think one other thing. So like, I think it was the day after. I got saved. I went back to global and there was a teaching about like the different ways that God will speak to you. And mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of like raised Catholic, but I think that's where I, like, I grew a lot of my hatreds towards God there because I didn't believe in him. 
they start talking about different ways that God will speak to you from images to numbers to colors, all this other stuff. And I've always been a numbers person. Get done that teaching. I get out to my car and well, actually during the teaching, I was like, God, I love numbers. I said, so if you want to speak to me, can you speak to me in numbers? I get out to my car and the teaching was done at, at 1022 at night, which all my stuff is set to military time. So it was 2222, my clock set in my car. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right, God, what is this? What do you have for me? And it was like silent for three days. God was, but my wife wasn't for 15, every 15 minutes. She's like, do you know yet? Do you know yet? Do you know yet? Well, after three days, I was like, all right. It obviously wasn't, God's not going to speak to me in that way. And it, we were on a phone call. My wife called me and she asked me, I'm like, I don't know. As soon as I hung up the phone, I was on the high, the local highway right around here in Lancaster and uh, a bus drives by me and, and I'm like looking at it and it was like two tiered and all wrapped in like digital camo, like I wore in the military. And on the back of it, it says 22 soldiers a day, kill herself with suicide. And it like just grabbed a hold of my heart. And I was just like, man, like you sent a whole coach bus wrapped in digital camo with bubble letters on the back of it to let me know what you were trying to say. Mm-hmm. Within 10 days of seeing that message, I get a call from a friend of mine that I served with in Iraq that, so it was like, man, uh, let's say like 14 years earlier, he said, I don't know why, but you were on my heart. And I just want to let you know, like tonight's my last night in my mind. I'm like, how can someone put that on someone? I obviously didn't speak it out loud. And I'm like, man, uh, I'm only two weeks into like being saved. Like, I don't know how to pray for people. I don't know yeah. like what to do. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, just tell them what I'm doing in your life. So yes. as I'm talking to him and I'm, I'm like not praying, just speaking with him. Uh, he's like, at the end, he goes, what'd you do? And I was like, I don't know, like why, what's going on? He goes, I've been looking out my window this whole time. You've been talking to me. And he goes, I haven't told anyone, but I lost um, my vision for colors. And he goes, so everything's just pretty much gray and black and white. And he goes, when you finished, he's like, everything is like so vibrant and beautiful right now. Like, what'd you do? And I was like, I don't know. So he ends up hanging up the phone and then I'm like, what, what just happened? Like, and it kind of like mess with me for 15 minutes until he called me back. And he just said like, man, I haven't felt this way in a long time. Like, thank you. And he like goes about his day and I'm like, God, I didn't, I didn't even pray for him. And he said, yeah, but you gave me the glory. I'll take care of the rest. And that's how it's been so many times where don't worry about having the perfect words to say, just be there and be available. He's going to use you. He's going to speak through you. And I just do my best not to get in the way. So, so good. Yeah. It's uh so now with 22, I now within hopefully in a week or two, I'll have my website up. I built a 2,100 square foot barn that I'm naming the adventure after freedom. Um, oh, we are doing kind of homesteading here. We got steers, cows, chickens, and we have a large garden and we just want to kind of like homestead and invite people in that are like struggling with that mental health and just work with them. You know what I mean? Invite them in to let them know like, Hey, 
we're we're complete strangers, but we're taking you in as family and we support you during this this transition from if it's out of the military or if it's a traumatic event or anything like that. And um I just I can't believe where I'm at today compared to where I was at when I retired from the military to actually have God speak into my identity and and wake me up and bring me back to life and actually have something that's on my heart and now to be able to pay it forward to to help the people help people with what I was struggling with for so many years from war so that's where I'm at now I'm having my own ministry and and still doing speaking engagements here and there it right now it's time for me to do something at home to have people make a safe place for people to come to and how how can people get a hold of you if they are wanting to or wanting to even just like donate or just be a part of it or if, um, if they have somebody that wants to get prayer or just kind of be under what you're doing? Yeah, I will. Um, I'll send you the the link. Like I said, I'm hoping to have the website up here okay. in the next two weeks, and in that link, it'll show you. Uh, what we're about, what we're creating, um, what our dream vision is. I mean, we're, we're looking, we already like kind of partner with a company that's going to do like two or three tiny homes on our property that, you know I mean? And, and have it fully funded that the, the police officer or, or, or firefighter or veteran can come here and not have to worry about the burden of, of taking money out of their, their joint account to go seek help. We would love right. to be able to offer that help for free. So there'll be a place in there to tithe. I okay. just logged in with a church that is covering me under nonprofit. So you'd be able to, to okay. run Yeah. And that's called threshold church. Yes, so threshold. Yep. I'll make yep. sure to put the link in it. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is yeah. an honor to have you and to have you share your story. I do want to just share that when you speak, there's something that is released just because of what God has done in you. Like what you've experienced, this is what God wants to do. Like he loves you. He loves us. Like he wants to do this again. And I think, I feel like what is different in your story is just that the purity that you had where you just believed you're like, Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. This lady came up to me and said this, Okay, God, like, I think a lot of times the skepticism can keep us and the questioning in our mind can be like, well, why, or what is this? And we want to understand it. And we want to have all the data and we want to have all the information. We want to analyze it. And I'm not saying that that stuff is bad, but when we get into our head too much, instead of just like following our heart, Mm -hmm. we, we then are kind of the rulers of our life. And I feel like you surrender beautifully you're like I'm not God you are I honor you and I think you being a soldier is really helped put you in that position of honor and there's so many of us that we don't know how to honor we just want yeah give me give me give me and again it's okay to want it's okay I just feel like this is why God has put you in this position because of your heart to honor every single person that's in front of you yeah I've I've learned, I mean, throughout my years, I used to judge. And I mean, I was very racist at one point. And I mean, now I like, I don't see colors like that. I don't see age. I don't see gender, anything like that. I just see the greatness that God has placed inside of each individual person. And and to me, my job is to to bring that to the surface and, and see, wake up their identity and, and bring it back to life and show them the greatness that's inside them. 
What a gift. Yeah, I would love it if you could pray pray for yeah. us. Yeah, absolutely. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for today. I thank you for the dreams that you have put on our heart. But right now, anything that's holding us back from from going after that dream, any any anything from the rejection to the mental health or anything like that, I break off right now in your name, Jesus. I break it off and I wake up the identity that you have called your children into. I wake up the the images the numbers, the colors, and the vision that you have given to people that they, if you have placed to the side that I, I'm lining it back up right now with you and Jesus, he is calling you into great things. He's calling you into big things and, and your voice and your life matters. So anything with the mental health, I break off right now in the name of Jesus. Mental health will not hold value over your life anymore. And that we restore your identity into your your great children of God. And I thank you for, for just your children hearing your voice, Jesus. I, I thank you. I completely surrender everything. And I just, we get out of the way. We get out of the way of what you want to do through us. So I ask for just the blessings over everyone's life as, as we come into these holiday seasons. That, that the clarity is there. There's no confusion worried about how we're going to provide for our children, our family, or pay the bills or, or keep us warm uh, this winter. I just ask that you just occupy every inch of our, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our house. And when we lay down to sleep at night, that we rest in your arms, Jesus, that you protect us and you lay us down. And I wake up all the armor that God has placed over you, that you guys have laid down, I bring it and I help you place it back on to guard your hearts, to guard your minds, to guard your eyes and your ears. So I just bless you guys in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the time that you spent here just listening to me today. And I and I hope and I pray that someday that we can meet face to face and, and just bless each other with a big bear hug that I love to give away. So I bless you guys with the name of Jesus and the love of the Father over you guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brooks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensenLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.